welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Just some uh, ferry updates for you, those who take ferries in Tamaki Makoto. There, the following Bayswater ferry services will be operated by taxis due to the operational constraints that's crewing. That's the 8.40 Auckland to Bayswater tonight uh, and the 8.55 Bayswater to Auckland. Also, the following Hobsonville Point and Beach Haven ferry services will be operated by alternative transport due to constraints. That's the uh, 5.05 Auckland to Hobsonville Point and the 5.45 Hobsonville Point to Auckland via Beach Haven. But let's kick off with uh, more budget reaction and one that got people really excised was free prescriptions. $618 million plus allocated to scrap the $5 co-payments for for prescriptions. Uh, National's Nicola Willis telling Morning Report that National would target prescription reductions at pensioners and people with a community services card. Uh, There is already a prescription subsidy scheme in place for an individual or their family who's paid for and collected 20 new prescriptions for medicines funded by the government yearly. And after the 20th prescription, there's no longer that $5 fee. Well, our guest today has been a pharmacist for 17 years on the front line of this issue and been advocating for this for years. So I thought, let's get Vicky Chan on from the pharmacist group Prescription Access Initiative. Vicky, welcome to the panel. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks. And well, like, obviously a fantastic move from the government. Well, yeah, our panellists yesterday, they weren't for it, but you said you, <laughs> were, you were crying tears when this was announced. Well, I, I mean, like, you know, it is like one of those um, sort of policy that's absolutely a no-brainer. Like, you know, I think like by removing that, and especially like with a universal removal of the co-payment, it means that, like, you know, we are not just only targeting those that obviously like that are most vulnerable but also like it means that by removing that like you know we, we we're not facing any gatekeeping barriers anymore and you know it is like the only way to ensure that like we have the best patient healthcare relationships with everybody even though like you know we think that those who can afford can sometimes get really distracted by the prescription fee mm. Give us an insight, Vicky, as a pharmacist. Someone comes into the store and clearly has an issue about the payment. What sort of things do you see around this $5 charge? Really has been a really widespread sort of um, sort of um, observations that we have had at Frontline for years. Like, you know, people will be, well, we're talking about cherry picking sort of um, prescription items, like, you know, a presenter or like, you know, a reliever in an asthmatic patient, a painkillers or an antibiotics over like, you know, a certain like skin conditions. And, you know, and, and we're not talking about like uncollection or delay on the collections of prescriptions. So they're all sort of, of like, you know, all these sort of problems that we see every day in our pharmacy. So it people, is a widespread so pe- problem. It's widespread, is it? And people will what? They'll cherry pick which medicine they choose to buy and which one they choose to leave on the shelf? Yeah, and it's sad, right? Like, you know, I think prescriptions are written out in the first place, you know, with intent. Like, you know, so for people to, like, you know, get through the hurdles to, you know, have a sick day and then get, go to the GP, like, for a consult. And then, like, you know, we are that last, point of contact like you know in the primary health care like you know ecosystem that five dollars actually um is um a, a big barrier for a lot of people mm. 
$5, a big barrier for a lot of people. Catherine Robertson says, uh, Vicky, a pharmacist of 17 years, what do you make of it? Catherine? I, I can absolutely see. I mean, you know, um, I've lived in areas where the pharmacy, you know, where the, where the community was very um, diverse. And you, you could see that paying for prescriptions is, is a huge issue for some people. And as Vicky's saying, you know, if people are choosing an off-the-shelf medication as opposed to a prescription medication, there's no way that's really going to work because, you know, she said the, the prescription was written with intent to solve that particular medical problem. And an off-the-shelf medication is not going to do the same job. So that's going to be exacerbated, which is going to require more healthcare and more expense on on us, you know, and taxpayers in the, in the country. So it just, as Vicky said, it's a no-brainer. To take okay. prescription oh. All right, stay there, Vicky. Here's one here. I've been a type 1 diabetic and asthmatic for 22 mm. years, mm. which are diseases I had no control over getting. People have no idea how many hundreds or thousands I've spent on prescription fees over the years. This helps so much. Stay there, Vicky. Let's bring um, Chris in. Yeah, and it's an interesting one from the from the politics of it. And I, I looked at um, Lindsay Mitchell, who's a right wing commentator on social social issues and social welfare issues. She says, you know, here is Labour introducing a universal um, solution for uh, what is really a minority problem. Um, I think that sort of misses the point of the number of um, you look at it. Three percent might sound small, but then you look at the number of prescriptions that aren't picked up, and if they're medicines that uh, prevent people or stop people from getting more or ill, and then needing further or more intensive in, uh, intervention, then the cost of that can be really, really high. So I think you've got to, to look at it. And, and, and the whole issue summed up for me from one tweet that I saw this morning that really stood out. And it, so it read, if you've never had to transfer $2 from one account and 89 cents from another account into your main account to pay for your prescription, I don't want to hear your opinions on scrapping the $5 charge because you simply don't understand. Vicky, can I ask, why could this initiative not be targeted as opposed to universal? Well, I think, like, you know, if you look at the existing, like, community services cast system, those people that are already falling through the cracks, they are the people who are marginalized, they are hard to reach, they live in rural areas, and and very often, like, with language barrier, and then, like, you know, we to add on top of that group, like, we have, um, you know, obviously people, like, with mental health addiction, like, sort of um, conditions, which has generally like you know extremely low engagement with the society uh, already like you know those are already those gatekeeping barriers and bureaucracy like you know and and i think like you know the universal like sort of removal of the co-payment it's going to be a game changer it's going to shift the whole dynamic like you know when our patients coming through to the pharmacy so we're spending uh, we're going to spending time um, focusing on the health, like, you know, how to get them better, um, counseling, and then we can, like, you know, look at vaccinations that are um, missed out. We can, like, be providing other services, like, you know, through that front line. So I think, like, you know, it, it is a no brainer policy. Is it going mm, mm. to be that significant? You think it's going to be a game changer? It'll be that final barrier for people, whoever they are, to go to the pharmacy wherever it may be, and get 
or the prescriptions that you're entitled to? And I think, like, you know, I think one thing, like, we we sometimes forget to look at is, like, you know, the claim is not just so simplistically, like, it's just a monetary sort of considerations that, hey, like, it's just re- reducing the cost and reducing the barriers. But it also ensures the sustainability of other community pharmacy services as well. When the engagement and the relationships between our primary care, like health, like provider, like pharmacists and GP with our patients are going to be shifted, like, dramatically with this removal. Just finally, Vicky, on a personal oh. note, uh, because you've, 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 you're, you're pretty pa- passionate about the mm-hmm. pharmacy sector, you've been uh, one for uh, many, many, many years now. It must be uh, quite hard uh, for you to see someone come in and you know that they need that medicine, but they just can't stump up up to five bucks to get it and take it home. It's disheartening, like, you know, honestly, like, you know, I don't know how many times I have seen young mothers or, like, you know, um, you know, family, like, with um, kids or, like, you know, dependent elderly, like, they have to transfer money, like, between accounts, like, in front of me. I like, I think, like, you know, removing this, like, it's going to restore mana, like, you know, for a lot of fun out, like, across the country. But, you know, by removing that, like, you know, it's going to be, like, better access to, like, phytomedications. But with winter coming up as well, like, you know, we, we know that, like, you know, removing this, it's going to reduce a lot of the stress, like, you know, in the hospitalizations on our emergency care as well. So All right, Vicky. Hey, very good to have you on the program. Thank Thanks for your insights there. Yeah, that's Vicky Chan there from the Pharmacists Group Prescription Access Initiative. Now, Vicky says this is going to be a game changer. Uh, They won't be trying to sort of um, get the transaction, swapping accounts like uh, Chris uh, Wukaita says in front of... Uh, in front of the counter. Mm, interesting. A lot of response there, needless to say. 18 past for the panel. We have Chris Wikaida, Catherine Robertson with me today. And another budget policy that has captured attention is the trustee tax rate that will rise from a 33 to 39% in line with the top tax rate. When the 39% top personal tax rate was introduced from April the 1st, 2021, the government had been advised by IRD that the trust rate should also increase. An extra $350 million will be collected because of it. Now, Australia, the US, Canada, UK, they align the trustee tax rate with the top personal tax rate. But could it have unintended consequences? Robin Walker is a partner within the tax team at Deloitte New Zealand. Robin, kia ora. Good afternoon. I see that there's been a bit of a spike going to trusts, uh, a $5.7 billion increase from the 2020 tax year to 2021. Uh, Can I ask, what do people usually use a trust for? What are some of the reasons? Yeah, so one of the main reasons that people use a trust is is nothing to do with tax. It's just about protecting assets. Um, and that's probably why we have 400,000 trusts in New Zealand. Uh, it's pretty common for people to want to put their house, particularly if they're running one of New Zealand's many small businesses, they want to put their family home and any other assets they have in a trust to just protect it in case something goes wrong with the business. Okay, so 400,000 trusts. So uh, you imply that there will be some on lower incomes who do happen to have a family asset in a trust? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And now if you've got a family asset in the trust and it's just there and it's not earning any income, then this won't make any difference to you because you're currently paying no tax because you have no income. Um, so 30, 39% of zero is still zero. Um, so you don't need to be concerned there. But if you did have a rental property, for example, or you've got some investments, so you hold some shares uh, or, or other investments, or you run your business through a trust, then your tax rate will be increasing from 33% to 39%. Right. Catherine, what do you think? Well, I do have my family home, our family home in a trust um, for exactly that reason. Uh I mean, my husband and I, we've been, you know, small business owners since, oh gosh, 30 plus years. Horrifying. Um, And that's what we did, you know, to protect it just in case anything went horribly wrong. Um, We put put the home in a trust and... But, you know, that's quite good news to hear Robin say that we, if it's not earning any income, then we're not going to be affected. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm for this because, again, you know, as I said, we don't have a fair tax system. We like to think so, but we don't. And um, And I think if people are doing it to avoid paying higher rates of tax, I think perhaps, you know, we should be looking at all ways to sort of make people who have that income and have that wealth pay their fair share. All right, so broadly supportive there, Catherine, uh, even though that you have a uh, a, a trust there in, uh, within family. Stay there, Robin. Chris Wikaida. Yeah, I'm, I'm of a very similar view. Um, I think there should be um, alignment with the top tax rate and the trust rate. Uh, trust tax rate because it, part of that's perception. It gets rid of the perception that there is that trusts have been used by those who have means to avoid paying you know, uh, income tax. Um, and you standardise it, issue gone. Um, and, and I think most people would have when it comes to middle income in middle New Zealand, trust would be, that would be their house. So um, I can't imagine, I'd actually like to see some data on it, how many people are using um, trusts as investment vehicles and um, where they are using them to generate the lion's share of um, you know, cash for themselves. Well, isn't that what David Parker sort of uh, intimated, uh, Robin, that that's why there was... Yeah, there wasn't a lot quite... of detail around that, though, was no, there? No, 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 but I'm just looking at this... Really, Robin, rather big spike of money going to trusts, you know, nearly $6 billion over a year. Yes, and um, it's quite interesting that in that, that year has been chosen as, as the, the comparison period um, because that's when you saw the personal tax rate go up to 39% as well. And it was completely accepted uh, by Inland Revenue that, you know, companies and other investors investment vehicles that have held income that had been earned were able to pay that out as, as a distribution to the sort of the ultimate owners uh, in that year before that tax that tax rate went up. And so that's why you're seeing that big spike there. So you might have had a company, the company that was running the business was keeping the money in the business to as retained earnings to, to help the business grow. But that ultimately there was an entitlement potentially to the shareholders, so they paid a dividend before right. the 39% tax rate went up, and that might have gone into a family trust, and that's why you're seeing that large, large spike. But that would, I would expect that that would have normalised in the following year. And you're also obviously subject to what is actually in the um, in the trust. We had that big asset boom in 2021. 2021 as well so there could be an aspect of that flowing through in that graph 
So I'm not trying to defend <laughs> defend anything <laughs> here, but um, what I wanted to put on the table was just that there are a lot of trusts. The large there there is a lot of money going through trusts, but yeah. they're not necessarily all the super rich, as I think it's been expressed. I mean, there's a lot of money there, um, but if money is in a trust, it is actually being taxed at the flat rate of 33% on all income currently. So there is a perception that trusts are used for, you know, trying to avoid tax. But if you earn money in your personal name, then you're subject to those progressive tax rates. If you earn money through a trust, then everything that goes through that trust is currently subject to tax at 33% if it's retained in that in the trust. So if you look at um, what Inland Revenue said, the median income that's going through a trust is actually $8,000 of income. And so that might be a family that has a rental property in, in a family trust, for example. If that, if that property had been owned, uh, the income was earned in an individual's personal name, then it would be subject to tax, total tax of $840 when you're using marginal tax rates. When it's in a trust at 33%, the tax is actually 2640 And when it oh. moves to 39%, it's actually taxed at 3120 So there's actually, you need to be earning a significant amount of money. I'm talking income of over $300,000 before the numbers actually make any sense in terms of getting a tax saving from having your income going through a trust. Very, very good to have that explainer for us the Friday afternoon. Robin, I really appreciate it. Kia ora. That is Robin Walker, partner within the tax team at Deloitte NZ. Now, just back to this um, tsunami. The National Emergency Management Agency says that strong and unusual currents could occur after an earthquake struck north of New Zealand, as well as unpredictable surges at the shore. Uh, a 7.7 magnitude quake struck southeast of the Loyalty Islands just before three. So areas, um, people in or near the sea in the following areas should move out of the water, off beaches and shore areas and away from harbours, marinas, rivers and estuaries. So areas under threat include the west coast of the North Island from Cape Rianga to uh, Whanganui, including the west coast of Auckland, Manuka Harbour and New Plymouth, the east coast of the North Island from Cape Rianga to Tolaga Bay, including Whangarei, Great Barrier, the east coast of Auckland, Waiheke Island, Waitamata Harbour, Tauranga, Whakatane and Oporiki, and the west coast of the South Island from Farewell Spit to Milford Sound, including Westport, Greymouth and Hukatika. Uh, so you can see more there at civildefence.govt.nz. More information at civildefence.govt.nz. Uh, uh, and we'll keep you up to date with the latest there, including, uh, as of course, Checkpoint. They'll uh, uh, keep you up to date as well after five. Now, Aotearoa today is a sea of pink as schools, workplaces and communities join the Pink Shirt Day movement. And it aims to highlight bullying for the day out in the Farikai up at RNZ here. We have a trestle table full of uh, pink goodies and um, uh, things to talk about, little cards, cue cards, that type of thing. They're discussing bullying, having a bit of an afternoon refresh- refreshment, afternoon tea. Uh, at school, at work, online, one thing is sure – Bullying can take a toll. Have you experienced it? Uh, Here is one. Yes. 
Um, I was bullied most of my life growing up in the provinces, moved to the city for university and experienced no bullying, in fact the opposite. Later in life, moved back to my hometown and had the worst bullying experience in my life. It lasted three years while in a professional capacity as a consultant for a public sector organisation. The bully had spent his entire life in this province. Uh, I personally say tend to equate small minds with small places is this person's point of view. And we've had others here. I was bullied from year 7 to year 13. At high school, I only attended school 50% of the time, says Paul. Catherine. Mm. Oh, actually, we'll talk about that right now. We'll talk about bullying um, just after the headlines. We have um, a gentleman, Jen from GNS Science. Right now, Jen, kia ora. Um, what yeah. can you tell us? Uh, so we've had quite a large earthquake up near the Loyalty Islands, um, at about a magnitude 7.7, 7.8. Uh, and that, uh, that happened about an hour and a half ago. Uh, and so we are anticipating some current. Uh, uh, around parts of New Zealand. Okay, so uh, any words of advice for those near uh, a shore near the beach? Uh, yep, so I hope your local civil defence listens to all the advice being given by NEMA uh, and your, your local civil defence authorities, but really stay clear of the water for probably around the next uh, couple of hours at least uh, as we see those, that energy come in from that earthquake. All right, Jen, thank you very much for that. That's Jen from uh, GNS uh, Science there. Let's go back to Catherine. Uh, bullying. Bullying as in have I experienced it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a seriously nerdy, weird child, and um, I remember the, the terrifying girls at high school. Um, and um, I, I, sort of, I have to tell you this, it was about another friend um, who went to a school reunion and in the place that they were staying and she went to the bathrooms and came back out down a corridor and saw the woman, the girl who'd bullied her at school and instinctively flipped her head away in case she was going to get thumped. Oh. Um, but yeah, yeah, bullying, I mean, I think until about probably fifth form, sixth form, when most of the bullies did leave, um, school was not a super happy place. Yeah, Chris? Um don't not any prolonged bullying one one or two occasions from one or two in, individuals um no so i was i was quite quite fortunate can I bring this in before you get to the headlines? So, uh, Tiwila Blakely said on um, on Twitter, "Pink shirt day, in my experience, hasn't done anything much to counter bullying, and it just feels like another virtualing, virtual signalling day." Yeah, well, it's not 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 a day that I knew a lot about. My um, focus on anything pink clothing that I've worn has always been for Pink Ribbon Day for breast cancer um, fundraising and 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 research. So I'm not sure if there's a little bit of confusion there, but anything that draws attention to it, anything that helps start conversations on it. Um, no, nah, is that virtue signaling? No, nah, I don't think so. And actually, people who say that, maybe you need to look a little bit harder at the issue. You're on the panel. RNZ National with Chris Wikaida and Catherine Robertson. It is time for Headlines.